0: February 25, 2015, was a cool, crisp day in Monaco. Despite the chilly temperature, it was hard to beat the view of the harbor, the glittering water reflecting off yachts parked on the dock.
1: For art dealer Yves Bouvier, the weather probably felt like a reflection of his mood. After all, things were going very well. His business was extremely successful, and it had made him one of the richest and most sought-after dealers in the world. Plus, Bouvier
0: had established
1: a strong relationship
0: with a particularly beneficial client. Over the last few years, Bouvier had become close with one of the most prolific art collectors in the world, Russian oligarch Dmitry Rybiloviyev.
1: They made an odd pair. Rybiloviyev had a checkered past and an intimidating reputation, while Bouvier was all about business. But perhaps that was why they worked so well together. Ryboloviyev knew what kind of art he wanted, and Bouvier was more than happy to supply it for him.
0: Bouvier had Ryboloviyev to thank for many of his business successes. It was Ryboloviyev who footed the bill for many of the art dealers' ventures. They made the perfect team, or so Bouvier
1: thought. Unbeknownst to the art dealer, things were going to become very, very bad. In fact, the Monaco police were headed his way.
0: Moments later, he was arrested.
1: Only a year before, he'd been a powerful international art shipper and dealer, responsible for billions of dollars in sales. Now, Bouvier's fate hung in the balance. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly.
0: And I'm your host, Richard. In this series, we're investigating the biggest mysteries in the art world. From a da Vinci worth nearly half a billion dollars to graffiti by the elusive Banksy, we'll look at the most notorious paintings on the planet and explore the secrets surrounding them.
1: Today, we're meeting Yves Bouvier, a Swiss businessman who exploited the art market's culture of discretion. He cultivated a pristine reputation as a shipper and dealer, working with some of the richest collectors in the world. He also bumped some pieces' price up by a few million dollars, but he didn't figure anyone would notice.
0: So we're asking, why is the art world so ripe for corruption? And how do people like Bouvier take advantage of its tradition of
1: secrecy? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
0: This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad, he's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio. And the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Or to select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 platinum jackpot. Maybe your friend makes paintings, or you decide to purchase something at a local fair. That kind of buying and selling is commonplace. But the fine art market, (laughs)
1: that's a different world entirely. It features works you'd see in a museum, made by household names, Picasso, Kahlo, Da Vinci. This kind of art is much harder to come by, and more expensive which makes the fine art market accessible only to the ultra-rich.
0: The elite client base values two qualities over everything else, discretion and efficiency. As a result, sellers often operate under the guise of anonymity, and buyers often purchase
1: artwork without ever meeting the person on the other side of the deal. The two parties typically don't want to be known. These individuals are billionaires, members of royal families, and oligarchs. In other words, they're people who'd rather hide exactly how much disposable income they have, and often, how they got it.
0: In any other industry, this level of secrecy might seem strange, even suspicious. But the art trade is different. The need for discretion has been at the heart of the
1: industry for centuries. Back in the 1500s, the majority of art collectors were members of the upper crust of society. Patrons were afraid of having art stolen from them if their identity was made public.
0: So they kept a low profile. And though several centuries have passed since then, the desire for anonymity has stuck. Today, the art market is completely enmeshed in secrecy.
1: For the most part, discretion served the clients and their desire for anonymity, but it's also added an air of exclusivity to the whole experience of buying and selling fine works. The process maintains a romantic image, a luxurious act that signals class and refined taste. Today,
0: an entire fleet of people are responsible for making sure transactions are seamless and, above everything else, discreet.
1: Let's imagine you're a billionaire who's mesmerized by Paul Cézanne's still lifes. You'd likely employ an advisor to inform you when a specific work is going up for auction and to let you know if it's worth buying.
0: Soon you find one you want, a gorgeous painting displaying a basket of apples. It's going up for auction at Christie's, but you won't go to the auction house. Remember, you don't want anyone to know you're buying this piece.
1: So, you team up with an art dealer. It's their job to predict the selling price for any given work of art, follow market trends, and do the actual business of purchasing it.
0: The dealer juggles multiple roles. Part advisor, part secret keeper, part tastemaker. The most successful ones have pristine reputations as experts in the world of art and are trusted to handle million-dollar sales. And the dealer is largely under no obligation to tell anyone who they're doing business with.
1: For one more level of security, you may choose to buy the painting through a friend or a shell company. Many buyers take the shell company route. It'll have a vague sounding name like Hudson Holdings Limited. Behind that ambiguous and unfamiliar title, you can purchase your Cezanne without the threat of discovery.
0: After a brief auction, you secure the still life for a few million dollars. Here, the dealer comes in handy again because they know the most reliable shipping service. A multi-million dollar painting isn't going to be transported via UPS or FedEx. As a collector, you don't want to risk damaging your new purchase.
1: So, the dealer arranges transportation and storage. Your Cezanne is packed up and sent to a Freeport, a massive, high-security storage facility that caters to the extremely wealthy. The space boasts temperature-controlled rooms, 24-7 security, and a general air of polite discretion. Freeports don't tend to ask questions when it comes to who, exactly, is using their system.
0: These facilities are often the final stop for a work of art. Many wealthy collectors prefer their purchase stay safe here rather than display it publicly.
1: The advisor, the dealer, the Freeport workers, everyone has a spot to fill. And usually, these roles are played by many different people. But Yves Bouvier wasn't one to do things in the usual way. The
0: Swiss businessman was practically born to work in the art world. Since the 1980s, his father had owned and operated Natural Lacout, a premier storage service for art, machinery, and other raw goods.
1: La Lacoutte had served its patrons for over 100 years by the time it came into the hands of the Bouvier family. The business operated out of the Geneva Freeport and already had a strong reputation for handling and storing all kinds of items.
0: While working alongside his father, Bouvier learned the ins and outs of the shipping industry. Over time, he found himself gravitating toward the world of art-shipping, in particular. The more he worked at Natural Le Cult, the more he understood the
1: secretive, often scandalous world of the elite art-collecting class. As shippers, it was the Bouviers' business to work directly with these customers, to know their names and, often, to be privy to the less tasteful details of their lives. Perhaps a client was selling his collection because he was
0: going through a messy divorce and came to Natural Le Cult to move works without a big fuss. The company could do that and handle everything with discretion.
1: Early on, Bouvier learned secrecy wasn't just essential during the shipping process. It was at the center of the purchasing process, too. So Bouvier handled every deal with extreme care. No feat was too big, no item too unwieldy for his business. In the early days in the industry, Bouvier intentionally sought out the more difficult jobs, including the shipment of an 85-ton industrial furnace.
0: He already understood the many roles that went into the business. But he had a vision, a way of streamlining that whole process so he was the one at the helm
1: he imagined a broad venue that could handle more than shipping in the fine art trade. Framers, restorers, even auctioneers could work in the same place, under the Le Culte name. It would be an international destination for the world's wealthiest art collectors. This went well beyond the regular boundaries
0: of a shipping company. But Bouvier wasn't a traditional member of the fine art world. He had no formal training in the arts but he did have a relentless
1: determination to succeed. When he worked for his father, art was only a fraction of the work Natural Lacoutte handled. But as Bouvier grew into adulthood, he couldn't shake this idea, the vision of himself leading an exciting new chapter for the fine art trade.
0: So in the 1990s, Bouvier took over the business from his father. He immediately narrowed the company's focus. Rather than shipping different items, Natural Le Culte would exclusively handle art, and Bouvier would exploit every loophole at his disposal to make himself rich.
1: Coming up, Bouvier manipulates the fine art trade to the tune of millions of dollars. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhouse series Conspiracy Theories. Each week we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The rise and fall of J. Edgar Hoover, Seventy-five years of Roswell, the tragic death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story.
0: The fine art market has often relied on secrecy to keep buyers and sellers happy. And no one knew this better than Yves Bouvier. When Bouvier took over his father's shipping business, he saw an opportunity. The Swiss businessman planned to make Natural culte a one-stop shop for art collectors, a
1: secure, private hub for the fine art trade. So, the facility got a massive makeover. Bouvier added multiple showrooms within the Geneva Freeport and even arranged for a framer to work on the premises.
0: As he restructured Natural Le Culte, Bouvier also began reaching out to potential clients. He hoped to win over their business in all aspects of their art trade.
1: For simplicity, we'll mostly refer to Bouvier as an art dealer, but his true title is difficult to describe. Frankly, he did a little bit of everything, never quite fitting into one role or another.
0: From the jump, Bouvier went above and beyond, offering clients the kind of generous service only a friend could. If a buyer didn't have enough money to pay for a work of art up front, the businessman offered to make up the difference.
1: Bouvier would do whatever it took to make a sale for his clients, even if it required setting up offshore accounts for them. The gambit was especially appealing to galleries that wanted to keep their role in a deal private from their competitors. He also managed his buyers' financing and invoices, among other administrative tasks. This white-glove
0: service, coupled with the already pristine reputation of Natural Le Cult, catapulted Bouvier to success. He became an indispensable dealer for elite clients around the world. And all the while, Bouvier championed a personally profitable stage for art trading, the Freeport model.
1: We already gave a basic breakdown of how the Freeport system works. In simple terms, it's a storage and shipping facility for the ultra-rich. But there's another huge incentive that made Freeports all the more compelling for Bouvier's clientele.
0: A Freeport is a type of free economic zone. The items stored there are not subject to tax the same way they would be outside of the system. Many goods held at these facilities aren't even taxed at all.
1: Bouvier saw Freeport's lack of regulation as a win-win. His clients saved millions of dollars. In turn, they trusted Natural LeCoultre with their art sales.
0: Behind closed doors, the Freeport system functioned as a secret marketplace. Once a work of art arrived, it could be bought, sold, and resold again with complete privacy. A painting could change owners multiple times without ever leaving the facility.
1: Within any other investment context, this level of secrecy would seem like a massive red flag. If anything, Buyers usually want transparency during a deal like this, where so much money is on the line.
0: But the art world plays by its own rules. Discretion is the name of the game here. As an art shipper and dealer, Bouvier knew the names of his clients and even worked with some face-to-face. But if anyone wanted to keep their identity hidden from everyone else, the Freeport system was the perfect tool for
1: keeping any information under wraps it's easy to see how this world of secrecy and anonymity could enable some bad behavior if few people know a client's name that means no one is going to ask questions about where someone got a work of art how they're able to pay for it or why they're buying it in the first place and that makes this the perfect place for money laundering
0: For example, let's say an individual earned $10 million from drug trafficking – dirty money, so to speak. Through a shell company, the criminal could anonymously purchase a Matisse still life. With the painting secured, this person can easily move their new purchase
1: to a Freeport. There, this individual could resell the painting for the same amount of money. Suddenly, that $10 million is totally legitimate, with a receipt to prove it.
0: Money laundering is only one of many illicit activities enabled by the opaque nature of fine art sales. Secrecy also makes it easy for forgers to pass off fake art as real, duping buyers out of millions of dollars before they ever realize what happened.
1: The lack of transparency makes it difficult to figure out who's trustworthy. There's no real guarantee your dealer is telling you the truth, but you have to trust him anyway. That said, Bouvier worked hard to leave a good impression on buyers, so no one could question his methods.
0: Through the 2000s, Bouvier's work reached new heights. He wasn't just a shipper anymore. He had a hand in each step of the art trade and seemed to be everywhere at all times. He knew all the major players, what kind of work they liked, and how to acquire it for the right price.
1: Bouvier became an adept magician within the art market, making deals happen with the utmost respect for the privacy of everyone involved. His deft touch earned him the trust of the ultra-rich. The dealer's clientele soon included oligarchs, billionaires, and anyone else who valued discretion.
0: If Bouvier claimed a painting was worth a certain amount, his clients didn't question it. But perhaps they should have, because from the start, Bouvier was a bit cavalier when it came to price.
1: For example, instead of brokering a deal more directly from seller to buyer, the dealer could first buy a painting for $8 million, then turn around and sell it for $12 million, pocketing the difference. Bouvier wouldn't advertise the change in price or added steps to his buyer. In his mind, they could always ask. It wasn't his job to tell them up front.
0: He was able to operate this way for years because there isn't a hard and fast rule about how a dealer can also act as a buyer or seller. And Bouvier took any opportunity to pocket what he saw as his fair share of the deal.
1: But his clients didn't always feel that way. On occasion, Bouvier found himself connected to accusations of fraud. But the opaque nature of the art world made it impossible to actually convict Bouvier of anything.
0: Plus, even these lawsuits operated within the art world's need for discretion at all costs. Scorned buyers likely didn't want people to know they'd been fleeced for so much money and any new clients wouldn't have known about these cases to begin with. As buyers
1: and sellers, they stayed out of the transactional process. So, Bouvier brushed these incidents under the rug and carried on with business as usual. Bouvier connected with more elite customers as they trusted he'd be able to secure the specific artwork they'd been chasing for years.
0: The more clients purchased art, the more pieces they stored in the Freeport system. Natural Le Cult became the leading art storage facility. The constant influx turned it into a kind of hidden museum with a collection larger than any art institute in the world.
1: Soon, Bouvier was rubbing shoulders with some of the most prominent purchasers in the world, people who boasted collections worth millions, even billions of dollars.
0: His successes eventually brought him to one man in particular, Russian oligarch and one of the world's wealthiest businessmen, Dmitry Riboloviev.
1: Thanks to his suspicious dealings in the rough post-communist Russian economy and previous issues with the law, the oligarch had earned a reputation as an intimidating person. But he was also a new and motivated collector, and no price seemed too high for him. In other words, he was the perfect client for Bouvier.
0: The pair first met at the Geneva Freeport in 2002. At the time, Rybiloviyev was there to examine a painting he just purchased, La Cirque by Marc Chagall. Upon inspection, the oligarch grew furious it didn't have a certificate of authenticity.
1: Bouvier was adept at these kinds of situations and placated Rybiloviyev. He calmly explained the sellers weren't crooks, and he'd sort it all out. Bouvier
0: offered to meet Ryboloviyev a few days later, once he'd secured the authenticity certificate. And sure enough, three days after their first meeting, the dealer arrived at Ryboloviyev's family estate in the French city of Coligny,
1: certificate in hand. This meeting was very different from their first. Bouvier had initially offered his services in the more standard way, as an art dealer. Someone who could locate a particular work of art and help Riboloviev buy it. But now, Bouvier offered the Russian client something truly unprecedented. He'd handle all the logistics when it came to the art buying process.
0: Typically, the work of a dealer and authenticator are separated for a reason. In theory, a dealer could lie about a painting's authenticity to sell it quicker. But if a client also hires an authenticator,
1: they avoid that conflict of interest. But Bouvier either didn't mention that possibility or disguised his true intentions. He promised he'd take care of everything. Riboloviev wouldn't have to lift a finger or worry about working with different companies.
0: According to Rubeloviev, for these extra services, Bouvier explained he would take a 2% commission off
1: any artwork he got for Rubeloviev. But that was it. 2% doesn't sound like a lot, and it wasn't for a billionaire like the oligarch. But it still brought home a hefty sum for Bouvier. A 2% commission could easily add up to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars per piece. For his
0: part, Rubeloviev was impressed with Bouvier's boldness. So they agreed to work together. And within a year, the pair were already making good on their promise. In 2003, Bouvier sold Rubeloviev a Van Gogh landscape for $17 million.
1: Both men likely left this meeting feeling optimistic about their future partnership. Sure, it was rare for art dealers to collapse the business like that serving many different functions all at once. But Bouvier was a risk-taker. That
0: is, until cracks in his facade became visible. It was only a matter of time before the whole operation crumbled
1: apart. Coming up, Bouvier's years of scheming finally come to light. Now back to the story.
0: By the mid-2000s, art dealer Yves Bouvier's championing of the Freeport model helped make it a runaway success. And it certainly helped that he had one of the world's wealthiest art collectors as his personal client, the Russian oligarch Dmitry
1: Riboloviev. But that wasn't enough for Bouvier. The Swiss businessman wanted to expand his empire. He dreamed of establishing Freeports in multiple countries, Provided, they offered the right kind of space and generous tax incentives for his rich clientele. To
0: expand his operations, Bouvier needed money. Luckily, Rybiloviyev seemed to appreciate the art dealer's ambition, and through their work together, Riboloviev earned Bouvier enough money to support a new Freeport in Singapore.
1: The dealer chose virtually every element that went into the building's construction, From the lighting fixtures to the doorknobs, he designed the new building to look like an elite clubhouse. When guests entered, they were greeted with a sculpture Bouvier had commissioned from Israeli artist Ron Arad, two massive curling shapes made of highly reflective metal. Visitors had to walk through the sculpture to enter the actual storage facilities, a work of art in themselves.
0: The Singapore Freeport was a massive success, catapulting Bouvier to international acclaim. With Rybiloviyev as his steady client, the art dealer was now one of the most respected titans
1: of the industry. And Bouvier's relationship with Riboloviev remained strong. The dealer promised to acquire more quality pieces for his client's collection.
0: In the first few years of their business relationship, between 2003 and 2007, Bouvier sold the Russian oligarch six works of art. Between 2008 and 2012, he more than quadrupled that number, selling Rybiloviyev 28 pieces.
1: The billionaire couldn't seem to get enough iconic works. Rothko, Gauguin, Picasso. Riboloviev bought it all.
0: As always, he trusted Bouvier when it came to price. If he told Riboloviev a painting was worth a certain amount, there was no questioning it. Bouvier was clearly good at his job. He was single-handedly building Riboloviev's art collection into something that rivaled the world's top museums.
1: So, as the pair continued their business into the 2010s, Riboloviev was a happy customer, and Bouvier knew how to keep his client interested.
0: Around this time, the Russian caught wind of a new, stunning find. A lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci. The portrait titled, Salvatore Mundi. Riboloviev had to have it, and he needed Bouvier to get it for him.
1: In 2013, the dealer brought the painting to Riboloviev's New York City home for inspection. The portrait depicted Jesus dressed in a blue and gold tunic with one hand raised for a blessing, while the other cupped a crystal orb. The Russian was so overcome with emotion at the sight of the work, as he told The New Yorker in 2016, he felt a kind of vibration in the room.
0: Rybiloviyev had authorized Bouvier to purchase it for up to $130 million. So when the dealer told him the price would be $127.5 million, bought it immediately. Once again, Bouvier had worked his magic. No questions asked.
1: This must have been an incredible moment for the Russian oligarch. At the time, Salvator Mundi was one of the most famous pieces in the entire world. And now, it was his. But soon, Ribolovyev caught wind of a strange detail.
0: In 2014, a New York Times piece revealed the painting had been purchased privately for a sum between 75 and 80 million dollars. This is how much Bouvier paid for it.
1: Riboloviev didn't have to do much calculating to see the difference. He just purchased Salvatore Mundi for nearly 50 million dollars more than it had been worth.
0: But if he felt a tinge of distrust from this discovery, Rybiloviyev didn't seem to show it to Bouvier. Not yet.
1: And Bouvier, for his part, was too preoccupied with the construction of the Luxembourg Freeport to worry about the article. So, the pair continued working together and didn't mention the issue of Salvatore Mundi.
0: Later that year, Rybiloviyev took a vacation to St. Bart's. The billionaire was enjoying lunch at a lavish beachside restaurant when he was approached by Sandy Heller, a New York art consultant. Heller
1: didn't know Riboloviev personally, but he knew of Riboloviev. In fact, back in 2011, one of Heller's clients had sold him a Modigliani painting, Nu couché au coussin bleu.
0: Of course, Riboloviev didn't buy the painting himself. This was one
1: of Bouvier's many acquisitions for the Russians' growing collection. The piece had originally belonged to a New York-based hedge fund manager, Sandy Heller's client, Steve Cohen. Cohen had no plans to sell, but Bouvier had a way with skittish collectors. Through his gallery connections, Bouvier negotiated his way to a sale and ultimately sold the painting to Rybiloviyev for $118 million.
0: Remember that price, $118 million. We'll come
1: back to it. At the time of the sale, the oligarch likely saw Bouvier's deal as yet another sign the art dealer had his best interests in mind. After all, Riboloviev was a devout fan of Modigliani. This piece would easily fit with the rest of his collection of the Italian painter's many works. But now, in 2014,
0: Riboloviev likely didn't feel quite so confident. After all, the unanswered questions around the Salvatore Mundi sale still rang clear in his mind. And it wasn't a good sign Heller was asking about another Bouvier sale.
1: Their conversation was cordial enough. Through an interpreter, Heller inquired about the painting. It had been a jewel of Cohen's collection, and he commented about how much everyone missed it. Riboloviev spoke briefly about the artwork, and then asked a bold question. How much did Cohen sell it for?
0: This was an unusual thing to ask. But it was also unusual for buyers and sellers to meet, let alone speak about the work of art they'd exchanged.
1: Perhaps it was curiosity that led Rybiloviyev to this question. More likely, it was a gnawing sense of distrust.
0: And Ryboloviyev's suspicions were confirmed when Heller and Cohen agreed to disclose the sale price. 93.5 million.
1: This meant that Bouvier must have upsold the painting and pocketed the 24.5 million dollar difference on top of his 2% commission of around 2.4 million dollars. If Bouvier made that much from this one sale, how much had he padded the price of every other piece he'd sold to Rybiloviyev? By this point, the Russian had purchased billions of dollars in art from the Swiss dealer.
0: After the discovery about the Modigliani painting, Rybiloviyev quickly went to his lawyer. In January 2015, his team filed a criminal complaint against Bouvier, accusing him of fraud. And shortly after, the dealer was arrested in Monaco.
1: In Rybiloviyev's suit, he cited the sales of both Salvatore Mundi and the Mediliani. Between these two deals alone, Bouvier had netted $70 million in profits that were deemed undue.
0: All of a sudden, Bouvier, The Freeport King, who'd ushered in a new era for the fine art market, risked losing everything he'd built.
1: At least, that's how it seemed at first. But Bouvier was an expert at making problems go away, including his own. After a few days of questioning, he easily paid the 10 million euro bond and soon was enjoying a high-priced bottle of Bordeaux in a Monaco hotel
0: but Rybiloviyev refused to stand down. He filed similar lawsuits and raised legal questions about Bouvier in multiple countries, including Singapore, Hong Kong, and France.
1: For his part, Bouvier denied all the allegations. The businessman insisted he had done nothing illegal as a dealer and seller. Bouvier painted Rybiloviyev as nothing more than a bully an unsatisfied client wielding financial power to destroy his reputation.
0: But pinning fraud onto Bouvier proved harder than it seemed. Public perception was that the Russian oligarch didn't exactly have clean hands himself, as he was charged in connection to a widespread corruption probe in Monaco in 2018.
1: It also didn't help that in 2017, the Russians sold Salvatore Mundi at an exorbitant price, $450.3 million, making it the most expensive work of art ever sold at auction at that time.
0: In light of that record sale, it became increasingly hard for the billionaire to convince anyone he'd been short shrifted. After all, Rybiloviyev resold the painting for over three times the amount he paid for it. What was he complaining about?
1: And sure enough, Rybiloviyev's lawsuits began to fall apart, one by one. In 2021, a Geneva court struck down the final criminal charges against Bouvier, a moment the dealer declared as a massive victory. He promised to write a tell-all book about the incident, and hinted at the possibility of a countersuit against Rybiloviyev.
0: However, today Bouvier may not be quite out of the woods yet. He could still face charges of tax evasion tied to his business with Rybiloviyev, but so far that's the worst of it.
1: Once the dust settled on the so-called Bouvier Affair, the art world remained more or less exactly the same, transparency-wise. We don't know whether Bouvier is still a practicing dealer, but his career in Freeport's leaves a major legacy.
0: Natural LeCoultre, the business he sold in 2017, still operates out of the Geneva Freeport. Now it's joined by the two other storage locations in Singapore and Luxembourg, facilities that were built with Riboloviev's money.
1: After disputing the outcome of the criminal charges against Bouvier, for his part, Riboloviev continued on without much fuss. He's still a billionaire after all.
0: Since their transactions became public, there's been some attempt to add transparency to the Freeport system. More regulation on the goods coming in and out, and tracking who exactly is using these facilities. But even these pursuits are incomplete. A process that's still being ironed out.
1: Though it made a splash among dealers, buyers, and sellers, the Bouvier affair wasn't enough to galvanize the art world. And so long as the industry values secrecy above everything else, shady deals will continue to go unnoticed. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
0: Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Georgia Hampton, edited by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner.